Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation, the podcast to support your spiritual revolution. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm joined by Michael Harris. Michael is the best-selling author of Falling Down, Getting Up, and his mission is to help motivated yogis, healers, and entrepreneurs get their personal voice, message, and stories out to the world. And so Michael has a very beautiful um, transformational story, and we also do talk about Bikram. Um, he had a lot of healing through Bikram yoga and through working with Bikram himself. And I take my responsibility with this show um, and you as a listener seriously and having known um, through, you know, seeing the documentary Bikram Yogi Guru Predator on Netflix um, a couple of years ago. I just want to be very, very careful as we go into this podcast. Um, you know, Michael's had great experiences with Bikram. If you've never heard of him before and you're drawn to him from Michael's story, please stop and watch that um, documentary before you jump on any sort of bandwagons. Um, you know, Bikram has proven to be um, a predator. And, you know, you need to, we all need to just take responsibility. You know, the mighty do fall and they fall hard. And this is unfortunately, you know, it's not a new story in terms of being unique to Bikram. This is sort of happening, um, unfortunately, in a lot of spaces. He's not really unique in the fact that many, many people have given him power and he's abused it. So... Again, not to take away from Michael's story um, and not to be provocative, but just to, to, to provide some balance um, and make sure that this is a well-rounded episode. Uh, before we get started, I just want to mention a few cool things that I have tried that I want to pass along, recommend, um, and hope that it, they can be beneficial for you too. We'll start with Kamuso which helps you shift out of fight or flight by slowing your exhale. There's no app, batteries, or chemicals involved. It's just a beautiful product that you wear, and it induces a proven breath technique that calms you down. I found also that just seeing it shifts my mind to notice my breath and make it slower because you're wearing it. So when I notice it, I um, even if I don't use it in that moment, I... Um, make a point of shifting my breath. So it's a great product and I'll be speaking to the founder of the, on the podcast soon. Um, you can check it out. Use promo code Kara Goodwin 15 to get 15% off. That's Kara Goodwin, Kara with a K Kara Goodwin 15 for 15% off. If you're wanting to try podcasting, I definitely recommend Libsyn for your hosting needs. Libsyn makes it simple to get your podcast out to all the podcast po platforms out there like Apple, Spotify, and Audible. Use code TMC for your new account and get two whole months free. That's TMC, the meditation conversation. Do your part to cut out unnecessary plastic and water used in processing traditional shampoos by using Viore shampoo bars. 
I've been using Viore for over a year now and I truly love this product. My hair feels and looks great. The product is beautiful right down to the origami packaging. It would make a great gift. It's just so beautifully packaged. And again, you're taking an important step in being gentler on the planet. Uh, use code Kara, Kara with a K, K-A-R-A for 10% off. And definitely check out the many products from Best Made Natural Products. They have tons of homeopathic remedies, which are highly effective. It's a family-run business. It's been around for a long time. Get out from under pharma if you can and see what homeopathy can do for you. These products are much more natural. They work with the chemistry of your body. Um, use code CARA10% for 10% off your order. K-A-R-A 10%. And you can find those links and products um, on my website. That's caragoodwin.com and in the show notes. And um, there are other things out there too that I didn't mention now. So go check that out. Support the show, support these beautiful businesses and enjoy this episode. So I'm so happy to meet you, Michael. Thanks for being here today. It's great to be here, Kara, and thank you for having me on your show. My pleasure. So I wanted to start with how vascular disease led you to yoga. Oh, great question. Yeah. Let me go back a little bit further than that. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I had a water skiing accident. And as a result of the accident, I ended up having 60% of my liver removed, gallbladder, broken ribs, collapsed lung. And I slid into a coma for about 10 days and I had a near-death experience. And in the near-death experience, I had um, left my body and it was is the best that I can experience it or, or always my recollection was it was at the end of my coma that I had. And I found myself within a gathering of spirit, as I call it. And it was like just the most incredible loving experience that I had ever felt in my life. And then I felt myself coming back to my body. And I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to come back. And I was reaching out and they said that I wasn't through yet. And they said, you're not through yet. Everything will be okay. Well, you know, I literally, I was reaching out with an arm, you know, because I wanted to stay. But I came back and that's when I woke up, you know. Well, well I previous to that, while I was in my coma, you know, a nurse, a doctor, my mom, my dad, you know, they would, you know, put my hand in their hand and say, like, squeeze, and I couldn't move it. And so I was aware I had some consciousness, but I wasn't able to communicate or do anything. So as I, I came back to my body, I woke up, and then I actually healed fairly quickly within about a year. I mean, I had a tube in the side for about six months, and but I was a 12-year-old kid. And my self-esteem had just totally plummeted. You know, I'd gone from this very active kid to not being able to do much. And I didn't feel very worthy. 
I ended up starting to drink in, in high school and such. And, you know, that gave me a new power. Or so I thought, you know, the, the drinking and the drugs and, and everything else. And I did that up till about 27 years old. And I had struggled with it in my early 20s, trying to get sober and, and let it go. And it never really stuck. And so here I am, 27 years old. I start walking on a cane thinking that I have some nerve damage in my legs and, you know, kind of ignoring it for a while, you know, just kind of like, oh, this is going on. What is this? But kind of ignoring it. I end up going to a chiropractor and she actually came from a long family history. She was Mayan of Mayan healers, right? Mm -hmm. And she said, this isn't something that I can do. She says, you need to see a vascular specialist. Well, I'm a 27-year-old man, and I'd never really heard of a vascular specialist. What is that? You know? Mm -hmm. And I ended up at OHSU, which is Oregon Health Sciences University in Portland in the vascular department. And as I'm lying there having my initial examination by the nurse, she's doing the Doppler examination and taking a look at my legs. And she calls in one of the vascular professors pretty quickly. And he comes in and he looks at my right leg and my left leg. And my right foot is all kind of purple, red, blue, you know, just discolored. And it turns out my right leg was 100% blocked and my left leg was 65% blocked. I didn't know that I had any issue in my left leg because my right leg was uh, more dominant, so to speak. And they said, we might have to take your foot. And they were referring to my right leg. And I said in no uncertain terms, using a word starting with F, the... Fire truck? <laughs> yeah, fire truck, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No fire truck way are you going to do yeah. that. <laughs> and I ended up having what's called a FEMPOP, which is essentially bypass surgery. And I had it on both legs. And it's it definitely restored my blood flow. And then about a month later, I was back in the hospital with blood clots for about a week um, until that diminished. And then a few months later, they wanted to do it again because my legs had already reblocked. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, going back a little bit, my blood panels were all normal. My cholesterol was normal. It was like 142 at the time of the, the initial surgery. Yet, I was still presenting with atherized plaque within my arteries or within my popliteal arteries in my legs. I, I wasn't having any uh, cardiovascular issues, although my dad had died about a year earlier of a heart attack. It wasn't his first one, you know, the widow maker, as they call it. Um, and so he had passed away and we do have heart disease in my family. But the second time when they wanted to do surgery again, as I'm laying there in the bed and the surgeons are all around my bed, there's half a dozen of them from OHSU saying, if you don't have this additional surgery, First, we're going to have to end up amputating your legs, and then you'll likely die probably within about a six months because this is, you know, 
happening so quickly again. It shouldn't happen this quickly. But we don't know why it's happening. And this is, Kara, this is where I made a decision. And I can't tell you why I made that decision. But my decision was, no way. I'm not going to keep having surgery, you know, every few months. It's just, that's not going to be my life. And at that point, I didn't know really much of anything about the spiritual realm, so to speak. But I ended up signing out AMA against medical advice, leaving the hospital. They wheeled me to the front door. I had my cane, and I didn't know what I was going to do, where I was going to go. Um, but basically, I mean, they gave me pretty dire predictions. And, you know, I'm a little, you know, doctors for various reasons, I think, sometimes do that. You know, I think they want to scare their patients sometimes to get them to, to act. Um, but I've also heard, you know, I have friends now that are doctors. I don't go to doctors very often, but they come to me more now than I go to them. But you know, they will say that the ornery patients, so to speak, sometimes do better than the compliant patients. You know, they're finding their own path. And that's what I did. I found my own path. So to make a long story short, I ended up in a rehabilitation center. It was called Pritikin Longevity Center. And it was in Santa Monica. It was at the end of Pico and Ocean, right on the Santa Monica boardwalk. And as I got there, again, I was on a cane with one hand and using my other hand to walk along the wall. And even with that, I was walking maybe 10 feet, 20 feet uh, before I was just worn out. And for those that aren't familiar with the Pritikin Center, there was a guy named Nathan Pritikin a very long time ago that started it. And it was primarily a plant-based diet that he offered and really moving the body. So when I got there as the doctor there, as I was talking to him, he said, I want you to really do two things. He says, eat as much as you want. He says, cause you don't have a problem. Cause my weight was, I was about 30 pounds underweight. And he said, you can eat as much plant-based food as you want with, you know, without even considering it. He says, but the other thing I want you to do is to get up and start walking. He says, just get up and walk. Go out on the boardwalk, walk 10 feet, walk 12 feet, walk 14 feet. He says, as you do that, your body, your legs will build new blood vessels, new collateral blood vessels. Well, the professors at OHSU had said, when it hurts and you're walking, you better get in here to have more surgery. You know, the doctor down there said, no more surgery, just get up and walk. Don't worry about it. And so within about two weeks, I was walking two miles, unassisted. Wow. Totally changed. My mind changed. My self-esteem started getting better. I started feeling more comfortable with myself. Um, I had committed to my... Uh, sobriety at that point as well. So I was, I was starting to get sober. I ended up drinking one more time. I'm 64 
now, but so I've been sober also since I was 30. Wow. So for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, so how did the NDE shape things? Because you mentioned that, that, you know, when you were going through that hard time at, at age, I think 27, um, you said like you didn't have a lot of experience with the spiritual realm or, you know, that wasn't really a big part of your life. You had had at age 12 that indie where you felt that or that you had been with those, I can't remember how you said it, but kind of like with a, a guides or a council or right. um, other worldly beings. Um so how did those things go together? Did it was it kind of an experience that didn't necessarily stick with you for that period of time or yeah. Well, one of the things that happened that I realized didn't didn't really realize it when I was a kid, you know, when I was 12, 13, 14, other than feeling like I was angry at God. You know, you'll take somebody like Anita Marjani, you know, where she had a near-death experience and she came back and her body healed really quickly from her cancer. And she was just like talking about spirit and happy and all this. My experience when I came back is I was angry. I was resentful towards God for many, many years. And so I held on to that, and I think that that contributed to my <clears throat> alcohol and drug use as well, because I was mm -hmm. trying to find something to give me peace. Well, you know, going up to, you know, 27 years old, having my surgery, and then the last time that, that I drank when I was 30, I had been sober for 23 months and then drank. And I ended up back in the hospital from the drinking. And a friend came to me and he said, are you ready? And I knew exactly what he meant, you know. And I knew <clears throat> that this uh, God that I had been so angry at, so upset with, so resentful for, was really the only place left to turn. Mm -hmm. uh, because I couldn't do it on my own. And so I literally had a swooshing feeling. I mean, I still feel the swooshing feeling that came through my body when I said, I'm ready. And as soon as that happened, everything was removed. The desire to drink. I was smoking cigarettes. The desire to smoke. I hadn't used any drugs for a while, but everything was removed. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew things were going to be different. So that was really my first real acceptance in the world of God. However, you know, in the mid 80s, I had also spent a couple of years with a, a program called the Search for God. There was an Edgar Casey program, mm -hmm. for those that are familiar with Edgar Casey, mm -hmm. that we did do some meditation and we tapped into our intuition. But I would say I was probably there 80% of the time, you know, consciously there. I don't mean physically, I mean consciously. So, I mean, I had had some experience, but it never really got me, so to speak, or I never really got it. So tell me what you mean when you say you were probably 80% there consciously. 
I still had a lot of doubts. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. were you were in this program and you were kind of like, quote unquote, buying 80% of it maybe? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. kind of still a little doubts, resistance. Well, is this really true? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. You know, that okay. kind of thing. So how did all of this then lead to yoga? Because now you have like three teaching certifications and you work with lots of yogis and healers and so forth. So so how did all of that dovetail into the yoga world? Yeah. One of the things that happened in the Pritikin Center, they had, they called it a yoga class. It was really more of a very gentle stretching class. Mm-hmm. But I did that while, while I was there. I actually had two visits. I spent two different times there for two weeks. But when I first started doing it, and I'd never thought of myself as doing yoga, and yoga wasn't that big yet in the 80s. There were some people doing it. My mom would do it occasionally. Um, but I really kind of liked it. And so when I went back to Portland, because I was living in Portland, I was going to the gym. I was walking a lot. I was going to the gym and working out and and um, started to do this yoga class. I would see these people doing yoga in, the, in you know, the other room. And I thought, well, I want to go do that. So as soon as I did that, and it was a remarkable teacher um, for... Um, for a gym, I'll say. Because sometimes gym yoga is a little bit different, right? But And we would do candle gazing, and she was just really remarkable, and she really helped open up the door. And so I started going to another studio and started diving more into yoga, more into meditation, more into stillness and calmness, you know, and, and learning to still the fluctuations of the mind. And that was one of the things that yoga was helping me um, recognize and reveal to me is I can find natural ways to still my mind. I didn't need substances or alcohol or anything else to try to do it, you know, and it it doesn't work that well. Anyway, it just makes you pass out, you know? Um, so as I did that, and then I started getting into Ashtanga yoga, which I really liked in, in the early 90s and did some work with David Swenson and Nancy Gilgoff and some some of the Ashtanga teachers that have been around for a long time and really liked it. I ended up, though, in 1993, a Bikram studio opened in Portland. And you know it's the hot. It's 105 degrees and you sweat. And I went to this class and I hated it. It was hot. It was sweaty. I thought it was stupid. I said, people don't do yoga like this. This isn't real yoga. And so I was kind of going back and forth a little bit, though, from Ashtanga to Bikram. And then I had a shoulder injury, and the doctors wanted to do uh, surgery on my shoulders. And now this is 97. And I went back to Bikram, and within a month, my shoulder injury was gone. And I attribute some of the shoulder injury to pretty aggressive downward dog. And um, in a stronger, you're jumping through the legs a lot, jump throughs and doing some different things. Whether or not that is true or not, I don't know. That's what I attributed it to at the time. Mm 
But my shoulder injury went away, and I still had probably a, anywhere from a level one to level three pain in my legs, you know, out of a scale of 10. And I thought, you know, I want to find a way to get rid of all the pain in my body. I'd made a bunch of money doing option trading. I'd work a couple hours a day doing that. And so I, I had the ability to take a couple of years off. So I checked around. I wanted to learn from a bona fide yoga master, right? And I found myself writing a check and going to the Bikram training in 1998, not to become a teacher, but to heal. Because I thought this Bikram guy would just like magically heal me, right? Mm -hmm. And he'd have none of it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I went to him and there's a posture called standing head to knee in the Bikram series. And that posture hurt me the most when I was balancing on my left leg. And I asked him how to modify. He said, Michael, no modification. Just do what you can. I said, but Bikram, there's got to be a modification. And he said, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. Well, I wanted to worry about it. I didn't want to forget about it. And I didn't want to do the yoga the way that he, he wanted me to. And at first, I wanted my money back. He said, Michael, no money back. He says, just do the yoga. Well, about 10 days later, I'm in class. I'm standing on my left leg and I'm kicking my right leg out. And, you know, ultimately you bring your elbows down and you bring your forehead to your knee as your, you know, the final expression of the posture. And as I did that, I noticed that there was no more pain in my left leg. It was gone. And I had tears just flowing out of my face out of joy you know, as this happened. And I began to understand what he said. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. Wow. Well, that's wonderful. I feel that, um, you know, I don't hear a lot of good stories about Bikram. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel that I do owe it to people if you're listening and you're moved by that. It's a wonderful story and be very careful with, <laughs> with him as a person, uh, Bikram. Um, it sounds like you had a great experience, but again, he is, uh, a troubled person and people do need to be very careful. Well, him. yeah. And I would add something to that too. Um, much of his, difficulties, his personal that he struggles with, I saw very little of it. And I was around a lot, mm -hmm. you know, and I, th I think about uh, what Neil Donald Walsh reminded us about, and I'd heard this story before. And for the listeners, I invite anybody, if you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to the episode. But he talks about the situation with the Pope and the person that shot him. Mm -hmm. And this idea of developing understanding versus forgiveness. And yeah. I think that applies in so many different ways. And, um, you know, I, I think it applies here as well, too, is how do we have an understanding um, without being fearful? 
Right. And I think his time has passed. I, yeah. I would not encourage anybody to go in and seek out Bikram. Um, it's been, you know, there are, it's really easy to find information about the abuse of power that's happened there. I'm, I'm thrilled that your experience wasn't like that. Um, but it, it is, it's very clear, I think, with, you know, the, the power, the, the money, the, the sexual abuse and so forth that, I, I want to be responsible in in making sure that it's a well-rounded picture of what somebody may get themselves into, um, because unfortunately he's still around. He he was not. He fled the country, right? So I well, don't. He, I don't he's, think he's, he's living outside of the country. I haven't talked to him for some time. Um, the he's not charged with anything he's not convicted of anything they didn't find anything to uh charge him with on a criminal side at all he had some civil liabilities that he had to deal with but on the criminal side there was no criminal actions that they felt were um met the threshold mm. Well, it's a fascinating study. In, but that's uh, a whole other It's a whole other story. Anymore. And you have a beautiful, a beautiful journey to focus on. Um, so you had that healing through the work that you were doing with yoga. And you've been sober for, it sounds like 34 years. My notes say 33 years, but now <laughs> it's, you've, you've, you've had another year. So that's wonderful. Um, what do you attribute to being able to make that change for good to sobriety? Was it that, I mean, you talk about that sloshing feeling that you felt come through. Um, did, did you kind of feel like there was an infusion uh, within you energetically, spiritually that helped that to stick? Cause that's a beautiful accomplishment, you know, or a beautiful, you know, looking back and being like, wow, 33, 34 years already. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that swooshing feeling that I had, I mean, it was like, you know, and I've had different experiences like that over the years. And I mean, I could feel it and I knew it was different. And it was like this energy coming through me, this spiritual energy, this God energy, this universal energy, however, you know, it can be described. It just, like it was a vibration within my body mm. and it was like I was going from you know like on the radio like from the static between the stations to getting tuned to the station mm. so like yeah, I had been living in that static right yeah 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 that's a great analogy and and so that has and you mentioned that you you still feel that you can still feel it when you tune into it so that it's something that has stayed with you because that can be um you know we can have flashes of things like that or experiences of things like that i mean similar to your near death experience you had an amazing experience you have memories of where you were when toward the end of your time in the coma and it wasn't necessarily something that you were carrying consciously all the time through your challenges and difficulties, but it sounds like that is something that you're able to access. Over well, it, it's there all the time. Um, mm -hmm. 
I don't know if I would call it able to access, but knowing that it's always present. Mm. So it's like, I don't feel today like I'm coming in and out of it. I feel Mm. like I'm in it, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. Tell us how people can find out more about you and connect with you. Well, the easiest way is just go to my website, michaelbharris.com. B is a book, so michaelbharris.com. And any social media links and, and all that are there. The other thing that I'd like to offer is my book, Falling Down, Getting Up, which is really the first part of the book is more in depth of what happened in my struggles and everything. And the last half of the book is about getting up and what happened and how I healed and some ideas that other people might use as well. So I have a backlink to the book. It's michaelbharris.com forward slash book, B-O-O-K. And it's a free copy of the book that anybody can download. Um, I don't offer it on every podcast that I'm on, but if there's somebody here that feels drawn to it, I invite you to um, go to that link and download a copy of the book. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you. I'll put that in the show notes. Great. Well, I thank you again. I've really appreciated learning about your journey and, um, and it's, it's definitely a hero's journey. It's, um, very inspiring and I appreciate you sharing and all the work that you're doing to help to lift others up. Thank you, Car. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode I'd love for you to do me one quick favor, which is to think of one person who would benefit from hearing this content. Let them know you're thinking of them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.